So how do you inspire your your people to do better? You have to lead with love. You have to lead with humility. You have to bring about joy at work. And then how do we feel? How do we give them what they need to do their job effectively? In the midst of a failing school, how do we provide them resources? How do we give them professional development? How do we help them have a growth mindset where everyone is saying that our kids can't do? How do we turn that around to help them realize our kids can do whatever it is we ask of them? What's up, y'all? Welcome to Teaching Labs Head, Hearts, Habits, and Equity Podcast. I'm your host, Rod Nakan, former high school English language arts teacher with a passion for dialogue and rich discussions that affect teaching and learning in the United States in the 21st century. At Teaching Lab, our mission is to fundamentally shift the paradigm of professional learning for educational equity. And in today's episode, we're really going to look at educational leadership with our wonderful guest, Miss Angela Prince. founder of Ed Life Consulting Services and the author of an amazing book, Education Transformation, Four Pillars to Help Leaders Bring Urban Schools Back to Life. With over 30 years of experience across schools, Angela now consults with educational organizations nationwide to reimagine what schools can achieve. Welcome, Ms. Prince, today. How are you doing today? Thank you. Glad to be here. Awesome. Well, uh, with some of my experience here in the United States, basically in Louisiana, close to New Orleans, I'm excited to talk to you about uh, the work that you've been doing in schools, your career with it, and your book about education transformation. So to get started, uh, maybe you can just tell us a little bit who, about who you are. What's your education story? How'd you end up in this place working with uh, it, within education and with educational leaders? Yeah, education was not my first option uh, as, as a choice. I was going into business and um, I had a nephew who was diagnosed with learning disabilities and being one of the first people in my family to go to college, they all came to me like, what do we do? What does this mean? And so at that point, I immediately changed my major to education, special education, learning disabilities to learn more about what was happening with him. And through my journey through college and his journey through school, he ended up graduating. And from there, I fell in love with education. And so with my first job in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, I had a principal who said, come work for me in Florida, and I'm going to show you more to life than Tuscaloosa, Alabama. And I said, okay. And from that point, she just continually put me in roles where I had to be a leader. She saw it. I didn't. Uh, but after a while, in her just continually putting there, it was just a part of who I was and who I became. And so I learned to embrace it and and, and love being in those roles where I could help others because I saw it as a, pe- a way to be a servant leader to others, how to help others in the ways that I was put in roles. It's interesting you say that because I didn't necessarily come to education all excited with a parade myself. You know, can you tell us a little? Can you tell us a little bit more about what would maybe what you think that hesitation was about? Like maybe why you was kicking and screaming when you ended up in those jobs? Because I didn't have a good experience in school. I did not like school. It was not fun for me. I didn't feel like anyone knew me in school. I didn't feel like anybody knew that I existed in school. So for me, it was like get finished this as soon as I can and move on to do something else. 
But then, you know, once I did get there and realized like what I was learning was not only helping my nephew, but also helping other parents and other people who were having these issues. Like, I don't know what's happening with my child. I don't know what they mean when they say he's learning disabled. I don't know what this means for my child. Through the information that I was gaining, I was not only helping my nephew, I ended up helping other parents and other families as well. And it's like, I saw how I was becoming, I was given voice and being able to help others. And so, you know, it hit me when I became a teacher that I will make this experience different from what I experienced as a child, as a student. I want to make sure that every one of my students know that I know who they are. I don't want anybody in my class to ever feel like they're not seen. So it became a big issue and a task for me to make sure that every kid know that they were noticed. Can you tell me a little bit more about what you did to make sure those kids felt noticed? I made sure I built relationships with them. I found out who they were. Nobody ever asked me anything about who Angela was. I was just a student sitting in the chair. If I was there, it was fine. If I wasn't, it was fine. To me, it was like, I need to know who these kids are sitting in front of me. One, I was away from my home in Southern Alabama and I was thrown into South Florida, which was a, a salad bowl of all different cultures and races. And I was like, who are these kids? And so it was like important to me to build relationships with them and to get to know who they were at a personal level. Uh, I'm in the middle of middle school. I'm in seventh grade. And seventh grade is a grade where they are certifiably uh, crazy. Uh, but I wanted to know who that crazy was. I wanted to know what made them tick. And we learned each other together because they needed to know about me. They had never seen, uh, I was in a predominantly affluent white neighborhood and I was new to them. I was a novelty to them, a black Southern teacher that they had never seen. So it was really cool for us just to learn each other. My dialect and the words that I said that they had to learn about me, it became this running joke with us, me learning about bar mitzvahs and bat mitzvahs and yarmulkes and all the different thing. It became this whole learning experience for us on both ends. And so that's how we started to build that relationship. And I realized by building that relationships, I could get them to do anything I needed them to do because they saw that one, I knew who they were as people and we trusted each other and we had fun together. And that is it's like, this is what school should be. I love how you said I wanted to know who that crazy was, right? I worked primarily as a high school teacher, worked a little bit with ninth, but mostly with 10th and 11th grade. And I yeah. can remember my 10th, my 10th grade, the difference between 10th and 11th grade is big, by the way. My 10th grade kids are a lot like ninth graders in a way. And, and I love that phrase. Like I wanted to know who that crazy was. Yeah, they felt really, we, we got to the point where they felt really comfortable asking me anything because we had created this atmosphere is that it's okay, don't know. There's things that I don't know, you know, and I said, like, guys, the only Jew I ever know was Jesus. So you guys are going to have to teach me about your faith and about the traditions here. And they were really open to that. And then they started to ask me things about the African-American culture, things that they didn't know, the things that they I remember the first time they asked me, they like, Miss Prince, tomorrow is supposed to be a cracker day. And I'm like, OK, what kind of crackers are we going to bring? And they're like, no, this is when all the black people are going to beat up all the white people. And I'm like, there's no such thing. Because, <laughs> like, 
But they were really afraid about it. And I was like, guys, you don't have to worry about that. That's not going to happen at this school. But to be able just to have that trust that they could come to me and talk to me about that. I'm really curious about some of the, the things you've been able to write about with education transformations. Why did you write the book itself? What is like the why behind coming to pulling yeah. together what you've learned with education transformations, particularly bringing those urban schools back to life? Well, I uh, after I left the principalship in 2018, I began working with some schools, uh, with some principals who were leading schools that were failing. And I had been in that same seat. So I understood their plight. But as I was working with them, I found the same themes coming up over and over. They were so overwhelmed, they didn't know where to begin. They didn't know, like, what are the things that I need to focus on? What is critical to help move the school? So I was like, okay, I started with this list of things from A to Z to help move the school. And I was like, okay, that's still going to be overwhelming for them. So let me look at these into things that will give life to the school. And life is what came to, to mind. How do we bring these schools back to life? Well, it begins with how do we lead? How do we inspire others? How do we feel or feed others? And then how do we empower them to do the work? Because as principals, we can't do it by ourselves. And I said, and through those four ways, we give life to our school, we give life to our students, we give life to our teachers. And so I looked at the themes that I continually saw as I went from school to school, helping these leaders. And then that's what I focus on. What did I do as a leader around these things? And I found myself sharing those same strategies and things with each of those leaders. And they're like light bulbs going off. And so I was like, okay, well, let me put this together <laughs> because you know, maybe some other people can use this as well. And so that's how the kind of how the book started to come to life. Here's the deal. Every student deserves a fair shot at success, regardless of their background or circumstances. So how do we make that happen? That's where Teaching Lab comes in. Teaching Lab equips teachers with the right knowledge and skills to make them educational equity warriors. They learn how to meet the diverse needs of their students, break down barriers, and create an inclusive classroom where everyone can thrive. The Teaching Lab professional learning model helps teachers understand and address the unique challenges that students from different backgrounds face. They learn how to adapt their teaching to ensure that every kid gets a chance to shine. It's all about closing the achievement gap and giving every student an equal shot at success. Together, we can make education a fair and inclusive place for every learner. Visit us at teachinglab.org to find out more. So leading, inspiring others, feeding those folks in your community, so to speak, and empowering them. Can you tell us a little bit about a little bit more about those tenets? Leading is like from the leader perspective. What are the things that you need to do to be able to help kid to help move your school? One, you have to hold people accountable. And that's one of the hardest things as a leader. You put things in place, but how do you hold them accountable? You have to make sure that we are, that you lead with integrity and that one, you have a mission and vision that, that directs the way you're going and that people know those. There's some non-negotiables that you have to decide that these are the expectations for the school and I'm not going to change these come hell or high water. We're going to meet these expectations. And then thinking with those leaders, like what are your systems, processes, and routines that you have in place that build the culture of your school? 
And so working with them and letting them know that you set the tone. As a leader, you set the tone for your building, helping them build themselves as a leader, that everyone's watching, that you have to make sure you have a direction for people to follow. So one of the things that the your book kind of, and the title kind of implies this, at least, so to speak, in a way that we're bringing back urban schools, right? So what would you say if you had to diagnose and speculate and say, like, what was the problem? What was what happened? Uh, what do they, those urban schools need to come back from? Could you tell us kind of what your thought process is if you're thinking about regrowth or regeneration of those urban schools? Almost every school that I dealt with was an urban school serving black and brown kids. So I'm looking at this and I'm like, why are our schools that are serving our black and brown kids in urban districts failing so much. And those are the schools that I've worked in. I started my career in a very affluent school, but I took that learning. And when I went to the urban schools, I found that they didn't have those things. They were missing a lot of resources. They were missing a lot of the things that came natural in those suburban schools, our urban schools did not have. And so I became on a mission. It's like, if they can have it in that school, I'm going to do whatever I do to get it in this school. And making sure that the leaders that I work with understood that you need to know what your school don't have. And the only way you're going to figure that out is going to buy and visit schools who are doing well and seeing what they have in place and coming back and advocating that for your school. And our schools were dying. And that's why I say, bring them back to life dying because they didn't have resources. And many of our leaders didn't know what resources to ask for. So how do you inspire your, your people to do better? You have to lead with love. You have to lead with humility. You have to bring about joy at work. And then how do we feel? How do we give them what they need to do their job effectively? In the midst of a failing school, how do we provide them resources? How do we give them professional development? How do we help them have a growth mindset where everyone is saying that our kids can't do? How do we turn that around to help them realize that our, king, our kids can do whatever it is we ask of them? How do we change that mindset, our environments in order to do that? Principals realizing and helping them realize that you can't do this work alone. You need a team of people. And so how do you need, how do you build your team and how do you empower them to do the work? And part of this was about one, empowering students to dream. How do we get them to go to explore things that they haven't ever done, to think about the things they can do, exposing our students to experience it, empower them to think big. How do we help our teachers recognize their beliefs and biases and give them feedback on those things and have this work-life balance and take care of their own uh, self-help and mental health. Because once we do them, we empower them to do better for others. Because sometimes our teachers don't realize, you know, how much they need that empowerment themselves. We always talk about social-emotional care for students, but how do we do that same social-emotional care for the adults in the building who are working with our students. I always used to say, I feed my teachers so they do not eat my students. <laughs> so in feeding them mentally, spiritually, socially, emotionally, I know my kids are going to get the best from them. 
what would you say as a person of my identity, a white man in the South, that what would be helpful for me in engaging in those kind of conversations? What tips and tricks would you have? I, I don't, I don't, I don't think it's tips and tricks. I think it's just being genuine, being who you are, being being able to say what you don't know, letting them know I'm not here to fix you. I'm here to do this work together, and getting to know who they are, their culture, their community, and their perspective. There was this one conversation I used to have when they, the teachers used to talk about how the students dress. They need to come in their Sunday clothes. And that's like, they are. This is their Sunday clothes. So you're coming from your perspective of a middle-class person of how you would come to church on Sunday and you're wanting to project that on them. And so get to know their identity of who they are and affirm that identity. What common obstacles or resistance you might have encountered when you're trying to implement or support folks with transformative change? Most of my work has been at the middle and high school. And what I'm finding is that those people begin to think that these are little adults. And what I have to make sure they understand is that they're still children and we're going to treat them as children. And two, I'm an advocate for children. And one, you, you treat these children in this school as they were your own. So I want you to think about the relationships you have with them. I want you to think about how you talk to them. I want you to think about how you speak to them. I want you to think about material that you put in front of them. If that was in front of your own child, would you be okay with that? One of the things that we've done is a lot around restorative practice. How do you know when you're being punitive? How do you know when you're being permissive? How do you know when you're being neglectful and making a conscious effort to walk into school every day to say, I am going to be restorative. I am going to do stuff with my students. I am going to build relationship, positive relationships with my students so that they know what it looks like. I am going to be that positive role model for my students so they know what it looks like, what it sounds like, and what it feels like. And so it's building a lot of time to say, what does it mean? to have a restorative classroom? What does it mean to have a restorative relationship with students? What does it mean to have deal with behavior in a restorative way so that kids get away from being stigmatized because of what happened? They have enough stigma already. The last place they need to be for eight hours is in a place where people are constantly stigmatizing them. So how can we say your behaviors are wrong, but that doesn't make you as a person a bad person? If you are a teacher who are punitive and negative and mean, guess what? Your kids are going to be punitive and negative mean to other people in that classroom during that time. So maybe you can tell us a little bit more in detail about some examples of the data-driven or research-based strategies that you've used at those school sites in, in conjunction working with those leaders and those folks on those sites to drive continuous improvement so that there's been those changes over these last couple of years? I remember one set of data I looked at, and I didn't look at the data people would think I looked at. I looked at failure rate. If 50% of your class is failing, that's a teacher problem. That's not a student problem. And I remember them getting angry with me. But it was. It was a teacher problem. And I said, if 50% of your students are failing, then you must give me a justification of why those students failed your class. Is it attendance? And I need to know what you did to help them from failing. And so when they went back, they found like, oh, this kid has an IEP. I didn't know. This kid has an IEP. And I was like, that goes back to what I went before. We have to build relationships with our kids and we have to know who is in front of us. I know you have a really diverse 
resume and CV. You mentioned at the beginning of our conversation, special education was an avenue into education, sort of at the front end. You were working in the State Department right out of high school. So you've seen uh, various education departments, institutions, school districts. Uh, Are there things that are common? Leadership is key. It's not easy. And you have to be able to have the courage of your convictions to change kids, to be do that. The teacher, it's key. And we have to make sure that we are giving the teachers they tool, the tools they need to deliver the level of instruction that we're asking. That leader also has to be an, an instructional leader. They have to know what they're looking for. You don't have to be a content specialist. That's what you got the teachers for. But you need to know instruction and what you're looking for. The teachers, we need to make sure that they have the tools and that we're fueling them and empowering them to think outside of the box and have their students do that. And the students, we have to believe that they can learn. Because in many places, I'm seeing this thread of these kids can't do this. This is a Title I school. These are from this neighborhood. That's a bias. And if you go into with that bias, then no, they're going to they're gonna do exactly what you expect of them. Looking across that, I think the theme would be a theme of expectation, a theme of belief that all of these schools have to have. And in many of them, those those are the areas that are lacking. Imagine as we wrap up, Miss Prince. So if you were with that school leader that was going to show up at that school uh, that they just got uh, their, their leadership position at, what would you give them? What are some high leverage steps they can take right away? in order to be better, more successful as that initial school leader in that building? The first thing I would say around leading, what is the mission and vision that you're striving to? So you have to know that to know to, in order to even start a map, a plan of action. What do you expect? What are the expectations that you have for behavior, for instruction, for those that align to your vision? And what is, how are you going to feel them? What is the professional development that you're going to offer that goes back to your expectation, that goes back to your vision? And then how are you going to empower them to do the work? Because without them, there is no work and you cannot do it all. And so if they can answer those four questions, then we got a plan to start charting out the rest of what they need to do. Look, I'm ready to be that principal tomorrow. I'm going to learn how to, what am I doing to lead? What am I doing to inspire? What am I doing to fuel? And what am I doing to empower? Over here at Teaching Lab, we're always working to shift the paradigm of professional development. And you've gave us a great kind of insight into what leaders can practically do. Thank you so much today, Ms. Prince. I appreciate you. Thank you so much.